If anyone uh, came in a little late and you'd like to move up to the front, right up here in the splash zone, uh, you're welcome to do so. Uh, today, man, I'm just so excited about uh, today's message and, and just kind of this season that we're going to be in, um, just kind of reconnecting with God. Let's, let's read uh, the words on the screen together and just, just pray that the Lord meets us this morning. O Lord, our God, you have chosen to make yourself known through your creation, your word, your son, and your spirit. Now reveal your glory to us and through us, the church. Speak to us, form us, lead us, dwell in us. Teach us today how to love as Jesus loves, to welcome the stranger, heal the sick, and care for the poor, to bear good news, build bridges, and bring your people home. For Christ in us is the hope of glory. May your perfect will prevail in us this day. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> we are nearing the one-year anniversary of our historic decision uh, to become a multi-site church through our merger with Hillside Community uh, Church in Roland Heights. And it has been an amazing journey. Uh, we took a huge leap of faith together, and uh, we've invested a lot of blood and sweat and tears uh, into making this vision a success. And I just want to start today by saying, church, you have worked really hard. And uh, later today in our annual general meeting, we will take a look back over all that God has done in the past 12 months. And we have been running hard. And those of you who ran the, the, the marathon last week, you know what it's like at the end of that race. Um, <laughs> You are, you're tired, right? You're fatigued. But it's a good tired. It's like, oh, man, that was so worth it. And so we, we kind of feel a bit like that. Uh, we've been running hard, and it, is, it really is time, I think, for us uh, to collectively catch our breath. And so for the next couple of months, we are going to spend some quality time with Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the whole reason that we're here, Right? He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the Word made flesh. He is our Lord and our Savior and our King. Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. He's the bread of life. Jesus, Jesus is the way. And when we are tired, Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Last week, we read a letter that the risen Jesus told the Apostle John to write to the church at Ephesus. And this letter is the inspiration for this series. Pastor John, he read this last week uh, in Revelation 2. Uh, Jesus tells John to write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. And, and most scholars believe that that angel refers to the pastor. So to the pastor of the church in Ephesus, right. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And those lampstands represent uh, seven pivotal key churches throughout Asia. He says, I know your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. 
I know that you are pursuing a righteous life, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You care about teaching correct doctrine. I know that you have persevered and have endured many hardships for my name and you have not grown weary. Good job. And then he says, but yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. I want you to consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you did not repent, if you don't change, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Jesus says you have forsaken your first love. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Jesus is not messing around here. Something is wrong, and it has to change. And if it doesn't, Jesus says he's going to remove the church's lampstand. The church is supposed to be a light shining on a hill, right? Jesus says he's going to put that light out if people don't change. Now imagine a darkened church with no people in it. Closed down. People just drive by. They walk by. And it's like, that's an abandoned place. There's no life there. What are the things that the believers in Ephesus did at first but aren't doing anymore? Well, it can't be good deeds because Jesus commends them for that. So they're doing that. Can't be that. Jesus isn't saying you're not doing anything good in the community. It can't be hard work. It's not that they're lazy, right? It, it can't be that they're not teaching sound doctrine because he says you're doing that, right? Uh, it, it can't be the fact that they are uh, not persevering under hardship and persecution. He says you're doing that. You're, you're suffering for my name. And they're commended for all of these things. And that's important to note because these are good things and these are things that are expected of the church. But Jesus isn't talking about any of these things. He says, there's something you're not doing that you used to do. What is that? Well, for some clues, let's look at the Gospel of Mark. There are four books in the New Testament that record the life and ministry of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're a new believer, Mark is a great place to start if you want to get to know Jesus. It is the shortest of the Gospels. Some people are like, oh, good, I like short, right? Um, it it kind of reads like the script to an action movie, right? Um, Mark just kind of jumps right into the action and he just keeps going. Uh, Mark's goal is to answer the question, who is Jesus? And in just the first few chapters of Mark, we get a clear picture of Jesus' identity and his message and his mission. And we also start to see why people loved him so much. Why they gave up everything to follow him. So if we're going to rekindle our love for Jesus, then this is a really good place to start. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark. We're going to go through the first, first chapter. Mark chapter 1. And as this gospel begins, we read these words. The beginning of the good news, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. Something that people have been waiting for for hundreds of years. He said, this is the beginning. 
This is the beginning of the gospel of the good news about Jesus Christ. The Messiah, the Son of God, the one we've been waiting for. And we're introduced to John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, and his ministry was to prepare people to receive Jesus. People came from all over to hear John preach, confess their sins, and, and, and to be baptized in the Jordan River. And we read in verse 7, this was John's message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then, just nine verses into Mark's gospel, we meet Jesus. And he's a grown man, and he's about to begin his ministry. See, Mark doesn't spend any time talking about Jesus' birth or his childhood. He just jumps right into the action. Here's Jesus. And in verse 9, we read, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And this voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Huge opening scene here. And then Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness praying and fasting, and he's tempted by Satan who tries to talk him out of his mission. And then as we continue, Jesus, uh, John is put in prison, and then Jesus goes into Galilee, and he starts proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God. Verse 15, we're just 15 verses in, and already we're hearing, what did Jesus come to do? He says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe this good news. Mark gets straight to the point. This is why Jesus came, to announce the kingdom of God. And as we continue, Jesus starts calling his first disciples. He sees Simon Peter and his his brother Andrew fishing, and he says, come on, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of people. I'm going to send you out to fish for people. And then they leave their nest. Right away, they just leave their nest, and they follow him. And then uh, Jesus sees James and his brother John, and he calls them too, and they too leave their nets, and they follow him. So Jesus is baptized, and then he starts proclaiming the kingdom of God, and he calls his disciples. We're still in chapter 1 here. And then Jesus begins to show people. He said he announces the kingdom, and then he shows people that the kingdom of God has come near. They go to Capernaum, and Jesus goes to the synagogue and begins to teach. And the Bible says that the people are amazed. Everybody say amazed. amazed. People are amazed at what Jesus says. And then in verse 24, we read this. Thus then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. Holy one of God. And Jesus speaks directly to the spirit. And he says, Be quiet. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shakes the man violently. and comes out of him with a shriek. And everyone is amazed. And they say, what is this? This man has authority over evil spirits. And news spreads fast. There's a new sheriff in town. The kingdom of God is advancing against the kingdom of Satan. And it is clear who is in control. Then we continue. Jesus and the disciples go to Simon Peter and Andrew's home. Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. Jesus heals her. And then that evening, people start bringing 
dozens of sick and demon-possessed people to Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that they brought all of them. People are saying, well, should we bring this guy and this guy and her? Yeah, yeah, bring them all. Bring them all. (laughs) Bring them all before Jesus. And Jesus heals them. And then we read that early the next morning, while it is still dark, Jesus gets up, as he often did, early. And he left the house before anyone else was up. And he goes to a solitary place to what? Pray. And the disciples go looking for him. And when they find him, they say, Teacher, everybody's looking for you. Where have you been? Everyone is looking for you. Let's say that together. Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus says, Come on. Time to go. Let's keep going. So I can preach in other villages too. Because that's why I came. Look, look, my primary mission is not to play doctor. It's to announce the kingdom of God. And then we read that in the next place they go, there's a man with leprosy, and he comes to Jesus, and he begs him to make him clean. And Jesus is filled with compassion. Your NIV version, if you have a new international version, it says Jesus was indignant. Every other translation, I believe, uh, translates that correctly, which is that Jesus was filled with compassion. Sometimes, see, the, the Bible is infallible, right? It's trustworthy, but not every translation is completely infallible. Sometimes, I, I think, we get it wrong. We have to make some choices sometimes when we interpret. Uh, and, and I believe the NIV gets it wrong here. Jesus is filled with compassion. And he, and he heals the man. And then he tells the man to go show himself to the priest and offer the sacrifices required by religious law as a testimony to them. Because you see, to be a leper was to be sentenced to a lifetime of isolation and stigma. They believed that this was God's punishment on a person. And what Jesus did was restore this man the full inclusion in the community. Can you imagine the immense gratitude that this man felt toward Jesus? So, let's pause for a second and and look at what is happening here in just one chapter. Jesus says the kingdom of God is near. Then he proves it. He shows his authority over evil spirits. He shows his authority over sickness and disease. He preaches with authority. And how do the people respond? They leave everything to follow him. They're amazed. They come by the hundreds, by the thousands to hear from him, to be blessed by him. What did the disciples say? Everyone is looking for you. Everyone's looking for you, Jesus. Now, there is so much to unpack here about what it means to return to our first love. To do the things we did at first. Here's what I want you to understand. Returning to our first love at its most core basic meaning, basic level, returning to our first love means to be captivated by Jesus. To be amazed by his teaching and his power. And to do whatever we can to be close to him, to be near him, to be captivated by his every word. To believe that he has the power to confront and cast out our own personal demons 
to heal us of anything that is making us sick, whether it's physically or mentally or spiritually, and to be filled with gratitude. So my question, before we go any further, is are you still captivated by Jesus? Are you amazed by this man? Would you do anything to be near him? Are you still hanging on his every word? Jesus says in Matthew 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Blessed are those who hunger and, right, hunger and thirst for righteousness, says Jesus, for they will be filled. Are you hungry for God? Do you hang on his every word? Or has your hunger faded? Are you aching to be rid of your demons? To be healed from your past wounds? Or have you just kind of resigned yourself to just living with that brokenness in your life? Do you long to be filled with hope again? Everyone is looking for you, the disciples told Jesus. What about you? Are you among the everyone who is looking for Jesus? Are you seeking him daily? As my friend Stephanie on Roland Heights campus is fond of saying, you know, he's not hard to find. <laughs> he's not hard to find. So as I said, we could, just, we could just stop right there and we could know that God has clearly spoken to us today. But I want to go on just a little further because the next story is so powerful because I saw something that I never noticed before and it made my heart just overflow with love for Jesus in a whole new way. Let's go on to Mark chapter 2. And we read this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. And some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Now, a few things to note here. One is we don't know who these men are. We don't even know if they know this guy. We assume that they were friends who loved him and were close, but actually the text does not say that. It just says some men. For all we know, they could be strangers. Now, something about this story should strike us as odd. In fact, it should strike us as very unsettling. And we don't notice it because we live in a different time and a different culture, but there's a very odd omission here that a lot of us have never noticed. Because, you see, this was in the time before we had things like emergency rooms and government-sponsored health care, in those days, if you were sick, who was responsible to take care of you? Family. Your family. Your family was your health care provider. They were your social support. They were your safety net. Your family was your retirement plan. 
Where was this man's family? They are conspicuously absent. You know, in those days, if, if you were paralyzed and someone didn't care for you, you were as good as dead. There's no way to care for yourself. It was assumed that your family would do it. But no, there is no mention of the man's family. We are left to assume, based on this story, that they must have abandoned him. They'd had enough. They'd given up. They'd thrown him out. They'd washed their hands of him. Who was the first person who ever loved you? Aside from God. Your parents. Those of you who are new parents. For the first time. No one could ever possibly describe to you. Could have helped you understand what that was going to be like. To hold your child for the first time. Right? And this love that just wells up out of you. It is an incredibly painful thing for family members to be estranged from each other. For a child to feel abandoned or abused or unloved by their parents. Why do you think God has such a special heart for orphans? This is a man who had been living with deep shame. Left to fend for himself, to beg for whatever he could get. No way to take care of himself. For who knows how long. And now some men bringing before Jesus, it says four of them were carrying him, so there must have been more, right? There was some men, and four of them were carrying him. So who were the other guys? I don't know. And they can't get to Jesus because of the crowds. So they climb up on the roof and they just start cutting through it and they tie ropes to the mat that the man is lying on. They lower him to Jesus. And Jesus is in the middle of teaching and things are falling on him. And he's like, what is, wow. And he marvels at their faith. Not at the paralyzed man's faith, but at the faith of the men who had brought him to Jesus. What kind of faith do you have? The kind of faith that would stop at nothing to bring someone to Jesus, even somebody you don't know? Because you're confident. Why would you bring somebody to Jesus? Because you're confident he can do something to help this person. If we're not bringing people before Jesus, is it possible because we don't actually believe he can help anybody? Do you believe that Jesus can change lives? So Jesus sees their faith and the very next words that he says are among the most powerful, inspiring, moving words in the entire Bible. And they ought to rock us to the core of our being. Jesus addresses the man in a way that he never addresses anybody else that we know of. We read, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son. Son. Your sins are forgiven. 
Jesus calls the man son. He never addresses anyone else that we know of in this way. Just this one time. Calls the man son. The man who had been abandoned by his family, rejected. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. People at that time believed that if you suffered from some kind of physical disability, you must have somehow deserved it. You are being punished by God. And Jesus forgives the man's sins and he calls him son. Some teachers of the law were sitting there and thinking, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knows what is in their hearts and he calls them out. He says, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say... Get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus says something even more astounding. He says, Son, your sins have been forgiven. And then to prove it, to prove it, he says to the man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. Go home. Go home to your family. Go back to the ones who abandoned you, who have rejected you, and you show them you have been forgiven and they will know it because you're going to walk. You're going to walk up to them. And without a word, they'll know because the thing that made you a symbol of God's judgment in their eyes has been taken away. Go home to your family. And the man gets up fully healed and he takes his mat and he walks out in full view of the people. And this amazes. There's that word again. This amazes everyone. And they praise God. They say, we've never seen anything like this. This story (coughs) is not about Jesus helping a paralyzed man walk again. It's about Jesus restoring a man's worth and dignity, healing the shame that had kept him in bondage his whole life. This story is about Jesus restoring a broken man into full relationship with God and his family and the entire community. This is a picture of the gospel of the kingdom. God is reconciling all people to himself through Christ. God wants all of us in his family, every broken, sinful, shame-filled one of us. Go home to your family. You're forgiven. Go home to your family. So just by spending a few moments 
in the Gospel of Mark in less than two chapters. We found a new reason to love Jesus. We've heard the Gospel in a fresh way. Who do you know that needs to hear the good news of the kingdom? Who do you know who is caught up in a cycle of sin? Think of somebody right now. Who do you know who's caught up in a cycle of sin? It needs to know that Jesus is confronting the demons in our lives and casting them out and setting us free. Who do you know? Think of someone. Who do you know right now who is suffering from some kind of physical or mental illness or addiction and they need to know that Jesus is the great physician and he still heals today. Who do you need to bring before Jesus so that he can touch them and heal them? Who do you know? Think of someone. Who do you know who is suffering from some kind of stigma? Maybe they're disabled. Maybe they're jobless. Maybe they're poor. Single mom. Gay. Who is suffering from some kind of stigma and needs to know that Jesus restores us to fellowship with God? Who are the lepers? Who are the outcasts of our day? Who needs to be loved by Jesus? Who is suffering? Think of someone who is suffering from shame and rejection, maybe estranged from their family. Who do you know that has a bad relationship with the people in their family? Needs to know that Jesus came to bring us into God's family. He calls us sons and daughters. And that when we live in that identity and that love, we will have the strength to forgive and to reconcile and go home to our families. So what does it mean to remember our first love, do the things that we did at first, What did these people do when they met Jesus? Nothing except be amazed by him. They were blessed by him. They were changed by him. They they were healed and restored by Jesus. He touched their lives and they loved him for it. What did they do at first? They just worshipped Jesus. They were captivated by Jesus. They enjoyed Jesus. They adored him. They yearned to be with him, to discover more and more about this man. And here's the thing. We all lose our awe and wonder for Jesus over time. And you can be a faithful Christian. You can have all the right doctrine. You can serve in the church. You can work hard. You can do good deed after good deed after good deed. You can do all of that and have no life in you. No life. No awe. No joy. No love. It is so easy to drift towards following a religion instead of enjoying a relationship. And we can become modern-day Pharisees, puffed up and proud and self-righteous, sanctimonious, holier-than-thou people. And Jesus says, I don't want a church like that. I don't need a church like that. 
That kind of church has no power, no appeal. It's not gospel. It's not good news. And to churches that are not first and foremost about loving Jesus and being loved by Him, churches that have stopped being amazed and captivated by Christ and the gospel, Jesus says, I will remove those churches from their lampstand. doesn't matter how many good deeds that we do or how great our preaching is or how solid our doctrine is, how much we suffer in the name of Jesus. If we stop being hungry for God, if our love for Jesus has grown cold, then we have become a lifeless husk with no power to inspire anybody. You see, when we first came to know Christ, we came hungry. We were curious. We read the scriptures with fresh eyes. It was all new. We were captivated by this Jesus. When I became a believer in my late 20s, you know what helped me? My wife, Christine, she's the one who led me to Christ. And she sent me this book, a little care package. I was living in Taiwan. She was in Canada. And she sent me this package. And you know how when you're dating somebody, you live overseas and like... You get a package, and you're like, oh, what is this? And oh, what is this? And I won't tell you what was in there. It's private. It's mine. <laughs> but I will tell you one thing that was in that package. There was a book. That book was by Max Lucado, and it's called Six Hours, One Friday. And I still have that book. I read that book cover to cover again and again because no one had ever written in, in, in a way that helped me understand the, go- the gospel, the cross, like he did. And he talks about three, an- three anchor points, three, three implications of the gospel. And I held on to those things. He said, these are three things, implications of the gospel. Number one, my life is not futile. My life is not futile. I have a purpose. Secondly, he said, my failures are not fatal. My failures are not fatal. And I had had to deal with some significant failures in my life that really did a number on my self-confidence and self-esteem. My failures are not fatal. And thirdly, my death is not final. If you know your death is not final, man, what do we have to be afraid of? And I held on to those things, but what did I do? As a new believer, I soaked things up. I was a student. That's what the word disciple means, someone who studies and learns and has the attitude of an apprentice. So my question is, are you still actively learning? The other thing I did as a new believer is I worshipped regularly. I went to small groups. Anything that the church offered, I'm like, hey, I'm there. right? Not because I had to. Not because I felt some kind of religious duty. I wanted to be there. I liked. I didn't know a whole lot about Jesus, but I knew that I liked being around people that did love Jesus. And they inspired me. And, And I needed what they had. See, as time goes on, a lot of Christians start attending church less and less. And gathering with the body of Christ becomes optional. 
Other things become more important. Kids' homework, football season, whatever. What do you think it means when Jesus says, return to your first love? Your first love is not your kids' academics. Your first love is not football. Your first love is Jesus. And we never want to get to the point where we say, I don't need to go to church. I know that already. I know that stuff already. Listen, how many of you knew today, how many of you knew that Jesus only addressed one person as son in all of the Gospels? And that person was his paralyzed man. How many of you knew that coming in today? How many of you were, were moved by this story in a fresh way? You see, we all, listen, we all experience something special today. I used to do theater. You know what I love about theater? It's an art form that disappears the moment that the show's over. I mean, you can videotape it. It's not the same. It's not the same as being there next to somebody here, feeling their like, body warmth in the room and laughing together. You shared something special that was there only for one night. That show, the way it was done, is never going to be done the same way again. Always something different every night. Now, this is not a show, but it is a gathering of our family. And you being here means that you shared in something very, very unique and special that would never be experienced again. And so I want to encourage you to value being here. Let nothing stop you from coming together with people who want to seek after Jesus. Don't ever give up that opportunity. Why would you give up that opportunity for something of lesser value? I hope that we all love Jesus a little bit more today. I mean, you could have listened to the sermon online. Wouldn't it have been the same? We shared something precious together. Aren't you glad that you're here? read an illustration, a story the other day. This uh, woman uh, posted some pictures of a very special gift that she received from her grandfather for her birthday as a grown woman. For her birthday, he gave her three books filled with handwritten stories of every single time that they had hung out as it, when she was a child between the ages of two and five. For those three years, every single time they got together, he went home and he wrote a story about it. And as an adult, he said, here. She had no idea. Can you Im- I cried when I saw these pictures. Can you imagine her just sitting there with this priceless treasure in her lap, just reading story after story and seeing herself as a beloved grandchild through her grandpa's eyes. And to relive those memories. And I can just picture the tears rolling down her face and the smiles and the laughter. And she must have felt so incredibly loved to savor those stories. We have an entire book full of stories that tell us about God's love for us. And we read a few of them today. And I pray that they help rekindle your love for Jesus. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Do the things you did at first. Rediscover Jesus. 
marvel at the gospel, the good news of the, the kingdom of God is near, and how Jesus proved that that is true. Now, how do we do that? By meeting Jesus regularly in the scriptures. Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Church in, in New York, has a habit. He says, at any given time, he is always reading one of the four gospels. Always. Continually. Because he always wants to be face-to-face with Jesus. We keep our love for Jesus alive by being around other people who love him and are actively cultivating that love. All of us, all of us are going to go through seasons where our love for Jesus has grown cold. And in those times, we need to hear the Spirit calling us to repent and do those things that we did at first. Rekindle your awe and your captivation over Jesus. And so I urge you, I urge you to spend some quality time with Jesus over the next month. Whatever that looks like for you. If you don't know how to do that, ask somebody. And if they don't know, then here's what you do. The two of you go to someone and ask them. And if that person doesn't know, then the three of you go to somebody. And you keep going until you find somebody who can tell you, here's how you cultivate your relationship with Jesus. I, I understand. Some of you may have never experienced this before. But many of us have. Go find those people. Let's do this. Amen? Jesus, you are beautiful and amazing and powerful. Help us to rekindle our first love by coming to you. Coming to you, Jesus. Being captivated by who you are all over again. Maybe for the first time. You are the one who restores us in every single way. Every broken part of ourselves you will redeem. So we come to you with open hands. We have nothing to offer you, but we do want to be captivated by you, God. And as we begin to understand the great depth of your love for us, something in our hearts will stir to love you in return. And that's all that you really ask. That's all you really want is an intimate relationship with every single one of us, a personal relationship with each of us. We surrender, God. We surrender to you. Captivate us with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.